the D'Angelo Russell trade is next up. Uh, so to recap, the Lakers got D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt. The Timberwolves got Mike Conley and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, a 2024 second-round pick, a 2025 second-round pick, and a 2026 second-round pick. The Jazz received Russell Westbrook, who they already bought out, and he joined the Clippers, Juan Toscano-Anderson, Damian Jones, and a 2027 first-round pick from the Lakers. It was top four. It is, excuse me, top four protected uh, and it just expires if it doesn't convey that year. For the Lakers, I gave them an A on the day of, and I'm giving them an A again. It's an A. I don't, LeBron's tendon injury, yes, it's troubling, and it diminishes the ceiling on this se- season. This trade wasn't, and D'Lo has missed a bunch of time after only appearing in three games and change, um, but he's supposed to come back soon. This trade wasn't just about this season. But one, let's look at this season. Since the trade, the Lakers have the best defense in the league. They're seven and four, and they've been able to survive largely without LeBron James and D'Angelo Russell. That wouldn't have been possible before the trade. They had Jared Vanderbilt, been a shot of adrenaline for them defensively. You look at Malik Beasley, the three-point volume, and he's hitting just enough of them still over 35% in LA. And there was a big dip for him in Utah after he started out the season, surface of the sun, hot. Uh, those are players that are helping you right now. Malik Beasley is opening up the floor for you. Jared Vanderbilt, the minutes with him and AD have actually been pretty good so far. And, but uh, as I reiterate, this trade wasn't just about this season. It wasn't, it wasn't because you've now elevated your ceiling. If you, whether you're fully healthy or not on this year, but you've also not compromised anything in the way of cap space. If you want to have it this summer, Malik Beasley team option, Jared Vanderbilt, non-guaranteed salary, uh, and then D'Angelo Russell, a free agent, obviously. I would keep all of them, and then you can look at moving them later if you if need be. But if you want to have cap space, Mo Bamba's contract is non-guaranteed. Rui Hachimura is a restricted free agent. So your flexibility is not damaged here. And I think that you just have an overall more sensible product. To do all of this while giving up one first-round pick that is safeguarded against disaster in the event that you absolutely positively suck, uh, that's a big win for a Lakers team and a front office that, quite frankly, has really sucked over the past couple of years, ever since they won the title. And they kind of stumbled into that title team thanks to LeBron and AD forcing their way there. But you did have KCP already there, Kuzma already there. The roster made sense. You decided to actively pay to make it not make sense. And now you make a trade like this, which I, I think was a home run then, and it's a home run now, regardless of what happens. We know D'Lo will be back. The bigger thing is what's going on with LeBron. And the final thing that I wrote about here is there's probably also something to be said, even though I don't think he was the only problem, uh, just getting rid of Russell Westbrook changes like the way that your rotation can run the way that you're going to play. So I think that helped as well. And so this trade, I think you could even go as far as an a plus, but there Mm -hmm. is just some, okay, did you really trade a distant first rounder with loose protection when this team tops out as a play in Victor? Like you can, you can definitely, skew it that way but it was an a then and it's an a still for me now it was so much better than i could have imagined the lakers you know it was just such a better return than i could have ever imagined was going to be on the table um i just i'm not in i'm not a d'angelo russell fan like and so i i guess i don't really have any notes it's an a for me I, i think jared vanderbilt is so good and so important and just like such a perfect piece for that team specifically or for really almost any team um, so even if I'm not the biggest Russell guy, 
I, I think Beasley has a ton of value just because you have to guard him. If even if he's hitting like 32%, you're going to chase him around like crazy and guard him. And that's going to help. And Vanderbilt, we love. Um, I, I want to get to the Timberwolves side of this for you because you kind of killed him and I get it. But, but before you get into it, um, I get hung up on, well, the Wolves were going to lose Russell for nothing. And I, I do, I always do this. And you've a lot of times talk me down and say like, well, yeah, he's a free agent, but you know, there's a sign and trade possibility and there's all this other stuff. And I don't always acknowledge that, but that was kind of one of the driving forces in me not being super down on Minnesota's end of this. Um, it's still certainly worse than the Lakers, but you know, you can give me your, your overall impression, but do the wolves get any points, I guess. And based on your grade, probably not for, just heading off the we either lose D'Lo for nothing or overpay him at the pass. Does that 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 just that's not a concern for you? It's if he was actually going to leave and not give them the chance to resign him, which there is, despite what some people said in the chat, there's no evidence that he was just going to leave. And even right. if he did, sign and trade possibilities open up. Uh, there's a chance that you could have gotten more for him then or than you did now. I like Mike Conley, but like. It's I, I this is what I wrote when like you're trading this 26 year old point guard for someone who's almost 10 years older than him and D'Lo was in the middle of one of the best stretches of his career. Um, I Conley has shown that he can still be the connective tissue on the offensive end. He has not been what you would call good as a scorer. You've lost some creative juice oh, yeah. there, and I think you've also seen the strain put on Anthony Davis during those minutes. The fact that you felt you needed to do this trade is a further indictment. Um, and Brent is saying in the chat, you're going to need to link me or something that Delo said he was leaving and was also toxic in locker room. Wouldn't pass to Gobert. Uh, the latter is just not true. He was getting frustrated because Gobert was bobbling passes. I did not see anywhere. I don't know if you did grant that Delo uh, said he was going to leave. I must've missed that. I hadn't seen that, but I had seen a lot of allusions to guys saying, making comments to the effect of, like we we know what the real problem is. I feel like I forget who said that, but I it was it was it implied that Russell was someone that guys did not like playing with, um, and that's not cool. like that's not a new thing necessarily for him. Fair. Like, so so that's part of the reason I'm kind of out on him. Um, but like I totally I can't quibble with any of your points. Like he's in his mid twenties, he's in his prime. He's probably overall a better player than Conley. The other thing that's been jarring though is they were fourteen and seven with basically a top 10 offense and defense over their last 21 games before the trade deadline. That's without Carl Anthony Towns. They are now since the trade deadline four and five below average offense and defense. And Mike Conley, as good as you might think he's is at the intangibles, he is a defensive upgrade over D'Lo. There's just, you're not replacing what D'Lo was doing from a pure output perspective with Mike Conley averaging fewer than 10 points per game and, you know, five assists. And that's something that you have to, to look at. And the fact that you felt you needed that you couldn't subsist with D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards driving your offense um, when Rudy Gobert was your primary big man is a further indictment on the Rudy Gobert trade, which we both well, clearly missed yeah. on. I was high on that in the moment. I noted that in the regrade. Uh, you, I think that this feels like to me, I wrote, it's an overcorrection to their previous overcorrection, which was the, the Gobert trade. So I don't know, like Conley on 24.4 million next season at age 36. That's not going to be an asset. Is there going to be drop-off there? Yes, there's a lot left to be said about this team because we need to see what they look like once Carl Anthony Towns comes back. The offense still hasn't been good with Gobert, Edwards, and Conley on the court yet. It's in, I think, like the 35th percentile of efficiency. So you can say whatever you want about the fit, 
how good Conley has been. The results have not been there through their first. I think he's played eight games for them or seven or whatever it's been. So and nine games total since the trade deadline. You took at best a risk here. And at worst, like I said, I just feel like it's an overcorrection to what was your offseason overcorrection. And I think that this team long term is going to be worse off for it. It's they get a D minus, by the way. I gave them yeah, that was after I gave them, I think, like a C plus in real time. Yeah, I wouldn't go that low. I understand the reasoning. Um, I think it really, we, we haven't talked about uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker yet, who's actually like, I, I kind of hung on to a little bit of his stock and I feel good about it. I just think once he's reined in his shot selection, he has the potential to be, I think, a really good like reserve scorer. And he's been good for them. I would say like, this is this is total cherry picking. And I would like roll my eyes at someone that used this evidence on such a, with such a small sample to argue with me. But the Wolves are plus 5.8 per 100 with Conley on the floor. They're minus 5.1 with D'Lo on the floor. Like that's, you know, Conley's played 270 non-garbage possessions. So like two opponent threes over that stretch could put this to zero more than like, or, you know, something ridiculous. But like, I still, I think maybe I'm just too uh, enamored of the idea of Conley where game manager organizes things, knows where to be, knows what to do, even if like, athletically and in terms of mobility just isn't close to what he was and Russell is just the opposite of that in so many ways but in terms of like asset value and and if this if the team chemistry stuff was overblown it's it's hard for me to say that you know Conley just is objectively a better player to have especially like you said the results in the record department have suggested that he's not but um, I wouldn't go quite as low as D minus I don't know. It'd be in the C range for me probably, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, the Lakers, we haven't talked about the jazz. You want to get the jazz. We just agree. The Lakers just hammered this trade and that's, that's all there is to it. I was actually surprised that the jazz got not killed, but people were disappointed in this trade. And I guess seeing what Jared Vanderbilt's doing now, I kind of understand, but Conley was probably close to net negative money to other teams. And Jared Vanderbilt wasn't a good fit on their roster and they weren't showcasing him as soon as the Walker Kessler emergence came. Beasley's three point percentage had plummeted uh, after a scorching hot start, like I noted. And so I don't think the jazz actively took a worse offer than what was out there. And even let's say, let's say they could have turned this group into two first round picks. They would have been first round picks that were in the twenties this year, next year or something. They have enough bites at the apple immediately you want to get the, and they already, they have enough bites at the long-term Apple too, thanks to those Cleveland and Minnesota trades from the off season. But you take the higher end swings and getting a 2027 Lakers pick that's only top four protected is the higher end swing. And acquiring Russ now is not what it was like over the summer, not what it was like during the previous season. Most of the season was gone. He had made most of his money. Your transaction game is done because you're not looking to make further trades because the deadline has passed. I think they did fine. I gave them a B minus and they're clearly interested in not winning this season. When you look at some of the, the units that they're running anyway. And you, you know, I think the jazz at this point, if they want to, this includes them waving Kelly Olenek, they can get to almost 60 million, whatever in cap space. There's value in that to leasing it out with teams that are looking to dump contracts. There's value in that. If they want to inflate the restricted free agency market, if they decide, Hey, we're going to make Charlotte pay through the teeth for PJ Washington and give them an offer sheet. They can facilitate other trades. They can make trades of their own. And so I was fine with the value that they received on this. I was actually surprised that many thought they were going to get a lot more. And I think I thought they might've gotten a little bit more. Let me be clear. I was surprised that this was just like the meat and potatoes there, but after like sort of settling in and thinking about it, okay. Yeah. Like I think it, I think it was fine. 
what they did. And they're still just super flexible moving forward. And I think the big key here is that no one they gave up profiled as just a long-term cast member for the next iteration of, of jazz basketball. I think I mostly agree. I, I would have probably gone down to like a C minus just because I feel, I think Vanderbilt might be on that level of like a long-term piece. Um, it, but like had this. And so my knee jerk when this happened was like, Oh, I've really thought they could get two firsts just for, you know, be, between Beasley and Vanderbilt. But, but I think you're right. They, it went, maybe it would have looked better. The optics would have been better if you've gotten two first, but I don't think realistically had they, had they traded with somebody else, you were going to get too good first. And so the upside on that Lakers pick is significant. Like that's a real potentially extremely valuable first that is like, it's, it, it just doesn't have the same appeal as, Oh, we got two first. We got one for each of them. So I go a little, a little lower, just for the the reason being, I think Vanderbilt's just really good, and I think you could have just held on to him. Um, maybe the fit, you know, I hate to talk about fit with young teams, but like, can he play with Walker Kessler? Is there enough? Are you going to get enough shooting there? I don't know, um, but yeah, I, I can't really argue too much with you on that one. Um, you ready to move to the Yakupertle trade? Yes, I am. Okay, so I've decided that basically the Raptors got Yakupertle back after a four year like soccer transfer to the Spurs. Uh, and so now he's back in and they're going to have to pay him. And that's maybe a problem. Uh, but the deal itself is the Spurs got Kim Birch, a top six protected 2024 first, a 23 second and a 25 second for Jakob Pertl. Um, Pretty solid return for the Spurs. Uh, so I gave them an A minus and that's building in just the fact that like, I think Pertle is well, what, would you say Pirtle is an, an average starting center, like somewhere in the 10 to 15 range as a starting center? Like if you're yeah, ranked up there. Yeah. Like, so, you know, he's not, he's not going to change your life, but like he's, you feel okay with him as a starter. Um, but he's 27 and the Spurs are super young and starting over and Pirtle's free agency. The number that was out there, I think actually, honestly, a lot of my evaluation of this trade depends on how close to the reported 20 million per year Pirtle might be getting <laughs> on his next deal. Because if it's, you know, I don't know, way down on the low end and he makes like the mid-level, then I don't know, the Spurs maybe shouldn't have done this. But you got that first and that's big. So that's a good return for someone that probably you weren't going to re... <laughs> Dan Valley loves this analysis. Um, and you know what? We love Dan Valley, But shouldn't that have been not Dan Valley? <laughs> I don't know. There's, I don't know. I haven't seen his profile there. I need to... You need a need burner a uh, comment account. Uh so, yeah, I, I think I don't have any complaints about this because I don't think Pirtle was part of the future. I don't think he should have been in San Antonio. And this is a good move to get something uh, before you maybe lose him or overpay him. The Raptors side, I so A minus Spurs, if that wasn't clear. The Raptors side is trickier because Pirtle clearly gives them a lot of things they needed. Rim protection, someone who can facilitate a little bit from the elbows. Hopefully that helps your half-court offense, which has also been bad since the Raptors have gone positionless. Um, and, and while he's basically done that, I think the stat I had when I was writing this up was, you know, Toronto was 23rd in, uh, opponent attempt frequency at the rim. So it's easy to get a lot of shots up, uh, at close range against Toronto. Um, and with Pirtle on the floor so far, he's knocked that down 7% and that would put them, you know, if that, if, if you judge the Raptors opponent attempts at the rim, with Pirtle on the floor against like the league wide figures for the full season, they'd be in the top five range. So like he is addressing 
what they needed addressed. Uh, but just as the bigger picture in terms of the finances for Toronto, his unrestricted free agency is coming up in a few months. You're going to have to decide what he's worth. And then you have to also do that in the context of Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr., who you did not trade at the deadline, uh, also are going to need to be paid or signed and traded or whatever, because they're both going to hit free agency. So it makes me a little uncomfortable that Toronto may have like pot committed itself a little bit because um, you don't want to give up a first if if you don't intend to keep the player you're getting back in theory. So is I just gave them a C because of the of the potential for this to look like a bigger mistake depending on how free agency shakes out. But it's hard to deny that Pirtle does do for Toronto what it needed done. I'd agree with everything you said about the Spurs. And to get such a loosely protected pick is good for them when Pirtle was headed towards free agency. I will say that's also why I'm not lower on this for Toronto is that ever since the trade deadline, I've heard nothing but, you know, how poor the 2024 draft, draft class is going to be. And so, yeah. all right, top six protected pick. That's fine. Like it's sort of just, and if you're good, it's just sort of like a flashy bell and whistle of, well, it does it's going to be number 21 anyway, but we gave you top six protection or whatever it is. I am with you overall. I thought that they were going to be more sellers than buyers and they haven't been good enough since the trade. Line, even though, you know, Fred Van Fleet, looks a lot more comfortable having a real screener and roller next to him. And as you already mentioned, the stuff with Jakob Pertl's rim protection, uh, I'm just, are they going to pay everybody? Van Vliet, GTJ have a player option. OG Ananobi extension eligible. Probably won't sign one, but he's going to hit free agency in 2024. Siakam's going to be extension eligible, and he might actually sign one if you're willing to go there. Um, and I, I don't know the answer is. And I just, I don't have a great feel for this team. They're still not deep enough. They still need more advantage creation and shooting to me. Scotty Barnes will be, you know, remains a big swing piece for them. But like, I just, I don't know. This team feels uninspiring. I would not have made the deal. I don't think it's unforgivable, but I don't necessarily understand the theory of what the next step forward is for them now. And they've also made it harder to pull off future trades just because now you have that 2024 pick floating around. The soonest first round pick you can convey now is 2026, which just makes pulling other moves off more difficult. And so a big test for them will be like, are they kind of a surprise team in the play-in or do they give a team a really tough first round matchup? We were both very high on them coming into the season. Mm -hmm. Fred Van Fleet shooting is really yet to normalize too. So maybe that ticks up. Pascal Siakam has been spectacular. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talent at the top of this roster. They're still not the deepest team. But there's a lot of talent at the top of this roster. It just hasn't coalesced into anything special. I think macro for the Raptors, uh, we both think Siakam's great and has had a good season. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think I think Toronto still needs a player that is better than anyone they currently have to be like a real contender threat. Um, and I mean, you, you know, you just look at that was the case when they had Kawhi in 2019. Um, and I wonder if, and I'm concerned, I guess, I'm curious what you think, this move makes it makes it to me seem much more likely that like this is the group right you bring back van vliet and trent it seems and, and you re-sign Pirtle, and like this is just your group and i think one of the reasons we were high on them is that we saw like organic growth potential certainly from barnes certainly from ananobi again um and now you're really banking on that um if if you just bring all these guys back and as brent points out raptors will be good but we'll have cash problems as they have some nice assets yeah i mean like you're potentially just looking at a team that all its money is going to be committed for a long time if it keeps the guys that it needs to keep this offseason. So 
you always have options, but uh, I think the idea that this may be locking in this group um, is kind of is it gives me a little bit of pause. I don't know how you feel about it. I'm with you, but I will almost be impressed if they do bring everyone back because it means that they've put the bill for it. And I'm thinking of all these players. Let's look at Van Fleet, even go further ahead with Ananobi. And there's also Trent and Pirtle this season. And let's say Siakam signs an extension. How many of those are likely to age poorly to where they can't be trade assets? And I don't think that number is necessarily high. I might be a little bit worried about Pirtles. I don't think he's going to get anywhere near that $20 million number that we saw. Maybe maybe I haven't fully grasped the new cap climate with the salary cap going up, but I don't think any of those, I think any of those players on their next deal can still be assets. There's a chance that maybe Van Vliet gets a little too old. Um, do you just overpay to keep Gary Trent Jr. shooting? Because we already had that discussion on the previous pod, as I mentioned with Pirtle. I don't think OG Ananobi will wind up getting like, like what OG Ananobi does will always be valued, even if he's a tick above market value. Yeah. So that is one route for them to go is just, Hey, let's go into next season with this group. And if it doesn't work, we'll just, that that's when we'll trade everybody or we'll go through next season and then make that call because we'll have these guys under long-term contract. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, the, I think that's all I have on that one. So the next trade is the Josh Hart to New York trade. Which to recap, the Knicks got Josh Hart, the Blazers got Ryan Archie Diacono, Sweet Mikhail Luke, Cam Reddish, and a lottery protected 2023 first round pick. That turns into four seconds if they're uh if it's not conveyed, which was uh super interesting, uh, because like you're getting the one shot at uh the first round pick and then it's gonna turn into two four seconds. I initially gave the Knicks a C for this trade. Uh I've upgraded them to an A minus because Josh Hart has been spectacular. I do think his three-point shooting has been overblown here just because he's still taking fewer than three attempts per 36 minutes, but he is shooting almost you know, 60% basically from three since the Knicks, shooting well on twos again as well, and he's been great on defense for them, and he just infects the offense with energy, ball movement, and you can just see it catch on for, for everybody. And this still could look semi-foolish if he leaves in free agency because the Knicks are not good enough to give up what will be a first-round pick, a bottom-10 first-round pick, but it will be a first-round pick. They are not good enough to just give that up for a rental. It just doesn't seem like you make that trade without knowing you're going to resign Josh Hart. He already came out and said before we recorded this podcast, actually via Hoops Hype, that he wants to stay in New York. So I was wrong about it. I didn't love the Josh Hart trade at the time. Uh, I love it for them now. And I also, I think I underestimated the value of oh, we just have an alternative to not just Deuce McBride minutes, but R.J. Barrett minutes, Quentin Grimes minutes, and you bring in this guy who can really rebound, run the floor. And like I said, he injects and then infects. Like it's it catches on ball movement, pace in general. And the Knicks have been slaughtering. And I've, been, I've also been pleasantly surprised with how much Tom Thibodeau has been willing to play Hart quickly and yeah. Brunton together. Because mm-hmm. yes, Hart has always played bigger than he is but I feel like Tom Thibodeau invests a lot in sort of traditional size and to have those three guys in the court at the same time, they've obliterated opponents during those stretches. Um, and, you know, he, Josh Hart has essentially augmented a lot of stuff that the Knicks were just doing before their offense was thermonuclear before the trade deadline. I know everyone's like, well, look at what the Knicks have done since the trade deadline. They've been on the ascent since like basically December at this yep. point, most certainly since the new year. So I ended up loving the trade. For them, I'll um, I'll throw it to you. Would you add anything on the Knicks before we get to the Blazers? No, I just the the uncertainty about about Hart's future was always like the complicating factor. And and look, I don't 
I mean, what's he going to say? I'm not going to, I'm not going to resign. I don't want to be here. Like he's not going to say that. So I don't put a ton of stock into him saying he would like to be back. I think that's just the, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily untrue, but it just doesn't like sway me one way or the other. Um, I think because that pick, I just, just Josh Hart is worth the number 23 pick or whatever it is, you know, like that, that to me is a fair trade-off assuming you can keep him. Um, I do wish, I do wish he'd shoot it more. It's still, like you said, you know, he's playing like five fewer, four fewer minutes per game, but he's taking 2.3 threes a game. And it was at 2.2 in Portland and everybody just couldn't shut up about like how, why won't he shoot it? Why won't he shoot it? He's not really shooting it that much more. He's making 60% of them. So I wonder how we would feel about Josh Hart in New York if he was making 35% of them or 30% like he was in Portland. Um, I still really like him. The fit totally works. And there's also just the kind of, I feel like it happened immediately that the Knicks fans were like, this is our guy. Like we, Knicks fans knew apparently. Yeah. Yeah. We, right. We, this is someone that we want to support. And like, I don't know how you throw that into a trade evaluation, but um, if everybody's happy, I think that's a good thing. So yeah, I don't have anything for the Knicks side. I was more concerned about it. Like you were just because like, well, what if we're giving up this first rounder for a guy who's definitely going to be a free agent because his play is his weird option was just, he could make more, you know, certainly get more years, but if he's back, it's totally worth the pick for the blazers. I gave them a C plus and my initial grade for them, I think was about the same. If I'm not mistaken, I actually don't necessarily remember it, but I look cam reddish has been good. For them he's hitting over 39% of his threes over 50% of his twos he's actually playing doesn't feel like he has as much tunnel vision when he's on the ball either but like we just we've kind of accepted that oh they got a first round pick and a nice flyer on Cam Reddish because they weren't going to pay Josh Hart we're just allowed to give them a pass because they weren't going to pay Josh Hart I understand he wasn't the cleanest fit there uh, but you know some of their defensive issues that were already in place have gotten worse since he left which is teams are throwing parades at the rim and a lot of that is Yusuf Nurkic has been injured. Um, they can't grab a rebound to save their lives, which he can absolutely help in that department. And just like, yeah, Cam Reddish will be cheaper. In restri- at least he should be cheaper in restricted free agency. Or Josh Hart will be an unrestricted free agency. But did you get the better player? Did you feel the bigger need with Cam Reddish? Unless he just sort of pops defensively, I would disagree. Or unless you're viewing this through the lens of, well, we're going to move Anthony Simons. And like Cam Reddish is going to be like that guy next that guard next to dame now i don't no one views cam reddish in that light regardless of how promising he's been and i get that they were kind of giving themselves you know they took mini swings on cam reddish and matisse seibel one or both might pay off and so i've been pleasantly surprised like matisse seibel has hit like almost 50 percent of his three-point attempts while he's been in portland and he's taken off four and a half in 31.6 minutes um per game i will be shocked if that sustains <laughs> But like that's if if it ends up panning out, okay, fine. My main issue is what it said about how non-committed they are to maximizing the best version of Damian Lillard we've ever seen. And this team continues, and it is now an issue that spans multiple regimes, from Neil O'Shea to Joe Cronin. They're just ang- angling for singles and doubles and never going for the home run swing. And I think that Damian Lillard, the best version of him, is now suffering because of it. And it, like this team has already suffered because of it. And so I dinged them for that. This was a lack of invention on my, in my opinion, I do think uh, 
I do think that Team Kraftos said Tyrell did a Euro step layup last night, and literally all he did. Uh, <laughs> I did not see that. But look, maybe it all pans out. I just don't like the lack of immediacy or urgency. And if you would have came out and said, we're taking a step back this year to better position ourselves for the future, I, I might have given you a better grade, but you actively tried to make it sound like you were buying at the deadline. And then you just yeah. laid this like long, wet-sounding fart instead. And finally, how does this position you to get better for the future in, if you're just looking at trades? That Knicks pick, number 21, 23, whatever it ends up being, is not going to be the difference between pulling off a blockbuster and not. Having Cam Reddish and Matisse Seibel's bird rights are not going to be the difference to that and not. So I just, I, I, it's not a terrible trade. It's just you have this version of Damian Lillard yeah. and this is what you did. That's just sort of where I'm at. Yeah. The, I mean, the only, if I were looking for reasons to excuse the Blazers here, I think it's maybe just that they decide, they decided that, you know, correctly, I think Josh Hart's going to opt out. And we kind of care more about Jeremy Grant um, and we have finite resources and, but this just goes back to your singles and doubles thing, which I can't really argue with. I, I just, I think the Knicks have greater reason to, and more resources, I think, and greater reason to believe that they can keep heart and the Blazers probably didn't feel the same way. Um, whether they should have just said, screw it, we're going to pay what it costs to keep all these guys together and trade our first uh, or, or trade our picks for something else. I, I, I just, I don't know. Um, but if you're looking for reasons to sort of give Portland a pass, that's, that's gotta be it. They just didn't think that they, or didn't want to, you know, pay what it was going to cost to keep heart. But that's kind of, that doesn't, that doesn't undo anything you said about you guys are blowing it right now with, with Damian Lillard playing the best basketball of his life. It's a tough look. Do you want to take us to the Jay Crowder trade? I feel like this can be a very quick one. Yeah, it's just even though there's three teams involved, it's really just Crowder to the Bucks that we care about. The Nets got a couple seconds. The Pacers got George Hill, Serge Ibaka, Jordan Wara, um, and also some more seconds. We if you if you forgot, this was the this was the trade deadline of second round picks. Uh, like seven million of them got traded. So real quick on the Pacers, I think Jordan Wara, like I've always kind of liked him. I think he's played a lot better. He's played more with Indiana. Um, he just, he's on the books for 3.2 million next year, which is totally reasonable considering his age position. He plays upside potential is there. Um, so that's a minor thing. Really. This is just Crowder to the bucks. Um, and I ended up giving the bucks a C and it's kind of, I'm trying to balance. Um, I can't remember what your initial grade was, but I'm, I'm trying to balance, for sure, Milwaukee was in search of someone that could close games, you know, in the deep playoffs for them. Crowder sort of profiles as that type of guy. To me, he's fouling more than ever. He's looked a little slow. Um, he is hitting his threes, 38.1% so far. Um, I'm concerned that maybe like, and I think you probably talked about this at the time, if I remember, like this isn't 2020 or 21 Jay Crowder. This is, you know, he's 32 um, he didn't really have a step to lose athletically and, and maybe, maybe this is knocking the rust off and, but maybe it's not. Um, so I, I think he may still profile as a better option than like Joe Ingles or, or even Pat Connaughton, um, or Grayson Allen to close games. Um, you haven't seen a lot of evidence necessarily that he's like a no brainer for that spot. And that's really all the bucks cared about. But then it's like, it's not like they gave up a ton to get him. So it's just a C for now. And this is almost like, 
let's see. You can't really fully judge it until Crowder does or does not have like three good games in a playoff series. That's kind of just, that's, that's a coward's way out, but that's kind of where I am on it. Um, Give the Pacers a B, gave the Nets a B plus. They got something for nothing, basically. Uh, yeah, making – that was an understated part of the Kevin Durant trade was insisting on Jay Crowder being there so that you could just turn turn around flipping for a bunch of second-round equity. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think, uh, you know, it. there was just no scenario where Crowder was going to be a part of the Nets. So just getting anything is, 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 you know, good job. Good job by you. I have them technically winning this trade. <laughs> At the with the highest grade at a B plus, which feels wrong, but that's where we're I at. gave I gave Milwaukee a C plus, and I think I would stick with a C plus just because you gave up a bunch of second round picks for someone who's currently logging like under twenty minutes per game, and you don't necessarily know what he's going to be. But I also do think that he opens up a lot of the most interesting lineup combinations for them come playoff time, and so that if we fast forward to the first round, second round, conference finals, this could wind up being a home run for them. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, maybe he only plays 23, 25 minutes a game maybe not even that could still end up helping them a ton. It increases their depth. And he is someone who you play him with Giannis is the lone big you play him with Giannis and Brooke or Giannis and Bobby Portis. That just opens up a lot of different things. I don't know how much he helps your half court offense. If he's hitting his threes, like you said, I think he's at like 37.5% or whatever, since the, the trade, that'll be fine. Um, and you also have the ability to keep him beyond this year. I don't know what he costs. Uh, and yeah. they already showed like they could, they lost PJ Tucker after acquiring him mid season, but he also, while not scoring a ton, uh, he really helped spearhead that title push. I don't think Jay Crowder is going to necessarily do something similar, but I think it's eminently, eminently justifiable. And there's – th- would I have made the deal? Probably, if I was Milwaukee, yeah. knowing what limited you are in assets. It just – that's a lot of second-round picks that give up for someone who just hasn't played all year and who was on the final year of his contract. Yeah. I mean, to, to defend the Bucks a little more, too, even though I graded him lower than you did um, – if you think about the teams that they in theory are going to have to beat, you know, I feel, I feel okay with Crowder because I'm worried about his ability to stay with like quicker matchups. You have drew holiday. So he's always going to handle the most threatening, like point guard, shooting guard, maybe even small forward. But if you got to get through Tatum and Brown and you also need someone that might need to bang around with Al Horford, like Crowder's a pretty good option for that. I, I think he's also a decent matchup, maybe not as good against the Sixers. Cause if you have, you know, he can hang with Harden probably if you need him to do that. I don't know what you, Drew Holiday maybe chases Tyrese Maxey around. I think the Cavs profile is a team that might give the Bucks a little bit of trouble just matchup wise. If if you have Holiday on Mitchell, I don't know who's chasing Garland around. That's that's going to be an interesting one. But I do think Crowder, generally speaking, like he might not be great against every matchup, but I do think against a couple of the teams that Milwaukee's going to need to go through, I feel like, okay about that. Cause there's not a ton of burners on, on like the Celtics, for example. You ready to move on to the Eric Gordon trade? Yes. Let's hit it. This one was a three teamer and the Rockets got Danny Green and John Wall both bought out. And then a 2023 first round swap. Uh, and then the Clippers receive Eric Gordon, a 2024 second round pick, a, a two 2024 second round picks and a 2027 second round pick. Uh, and the Grizzlies received Luke Kennard. Uh, I think the, so let's start with the Rockets. I gave them a B minus. I think that you could grade them lower because they bag held with Eric Gordon as well. You might've been able to get an outright first rounder, but you kind of forced Steven Silas to change the rotation. There are players who are getting more minutes now in Gordon's absence. We've seen Josh Christopher play a little bit more. Tari Eason get some more playing time. That's actually, there's value there. And then you're also going to exercise this swap because it's with, you have the right to swap the Clippers pick with Milwaukee or whatever it is. So 
you're going to exercise the swap is my point. So there's value in that. I gave them a B minus. You have anything to add on them? No, not really. Other than like, I, I think I was hung up on, you know, go, go back like two deadlines, at least one thinking like, Oh, surely Eric Gordon's going to get him a, you know, really like a legit first rounder. Um, but that's, that assumes like that offer, those offers were on the table and the Rockets said, no, we don't know that that's the case. So a little bit underwhelming um, framed against like the last couple of years and what we thought might've been possible, but it's hard to get that upset about it. Uh, I think the Rockets just took the best offer they could. And and maybe if it was less than we expected, so what? Um, I'm stumbling because I'm seeing one of our editors like deleted all the pick protections I included in our article, which is actually aggravating me at the moment. I don't know why there was, I was trying to figure out what the swap was. So I don't know why they would delete that. That's actually really frustrating. Uh, I gave the Clippers an A the first time around and I I dropped them down to a B this time. I think Gordon has been fine on offense. He's hit his threes. He's been pretty bad on defense, worse than I thought he was going to be. And he's also playing uh, up until their most recent win. He was playing over Terrence Mann in crunch time. I don't know how much this trade factors into that because Russell Westbrook was also playing ahead of Terrence Mann. Yeah. And so it's just like, if you kind of had an inkling you were going to get Russell Westbrook or sign a ball dominant guard, did you really need to go out and get Eric Gordon? You didn't give anything up too much of value. And I like Eric Gordon more than I like Russell Westbrook, but you made both those moves. I didn't really know how to view it, but Gordon has not uh, performed up to snuff defensively since being in LA. And I think if this trade was going to mean in any way, because of the other moves you're going to make or independent of the other moves that you were just going to be less reliant on Terrence Mann, I, I would have definitely not have given it today. I was so high on it in the moment and now I'm, I'm tepid at best. Yeah. This is another one that, I mean, it's not quite like Crowder in Milwaukee because who knows what the Clippers playoff future is going to hold uh, based on how they've looked generally over the last uh, season. <laughs> I don't know how long to, to go back. Um, I, I, I feel like a B is fine. Um, I, I just, I, I like you. I don't know how to divorce it from the larger series of moves that have involved Russell Westbrook being on this team and like what that does to the rotation. I don't know. I can't I can't ding this trade unless it was like th- this was all of part of a larger plan that centered on Westbrook like mattering for the Clippers, which just was never. I mean, this has to be the last. This has not, got nothing to do with the trade, but like this has to be the last time a team decides we're going to listen to our are other stars that still think Russell Westbrook is helpful and bring him aboard, right? Like this is the last one. It has to be. Uh, And then the final team in this deal, the Grizzlies, I gave them, what did I give them initially? I gave them a B plus. I dropped that down to a B. Kennard is hitting his threes. The defense has been awful with him on the court. Defense uh, offenses are going after him. I do not know how to juggle that with the Grizzlies. Don't have Steven Adams. A lot of his minutes have come with only one of Dylan Brooks or Jaron Jackson Jr., if not both, without both of them. So that has to be factored in the equation as well. But it's also just like you knew Steven Adams was going to be injured at the time. So I think Kennard fills a need, but it's just not a big enough – it's not big enough filler to address their most glaring weaknesses, which will now be laid bare because of John Morant not being around them. They could not have – or I guess maybe they could have predicted that, but that was never going to factor into the calculus that they uh, approached the trade deadline with. I, I think it was a solid move. And I also, one of the other benefits is even if you want the Grizzlies to make a bigger swing, which I did because they should have, but you folded Danny Green's expiring contract into now money, digestible money for the next two seasons. He has a team option, Luke Kennard on the final year of his contract, both worth 15.4 million a pop. You can put that into other trades. And so you've yeah. increased your optionality there. 
It didn't cost you any first round equity. Now it's a solid B move, but that's disappointing for a team that I think needed very clearly like an A minus or like an A plus swing. It didn't need to be like the A plus player, but could they have done anything to get Mikhail Bridges out of Brooklyn? I was not an OG and an OB fan for them, but could they have done anything to get Kuzma out of Washington? Maybe those options weren't out there, but we know that the Grizzlies have kind of been circling this or running in this circle for the past two seasons where they haven't really been linked or shown interest in making that bigger swing. This just feels like more evidence of that. Again, though, I think that Luke Kennard is someone just providing the functional shooting and spacing and movement. That's going to be um, excellent for, or should be very helpful for them in the playoffs. Can you hold up defensively, though, if Steven Adams is going to be injured, if Jaron Jackson Jr. might be in foul trouble, if you're not going to tie Luke Kennard to, well, we have to play both Triple J and Dylan Brooks with him because I think that's what you kind of need to do. Yeah, I think it's weird. Like, it shouldn't be that hard to survive defensively with with Kennard on the floor. I mean, I, I guess certainly if he's out there with Morant, which like you don't want to acquire someone that like you can't play with your best player. That's a, that'd be a weird move. I think if he's out there with Morant, that's two guys to go at for for defenses. That just makes offense pretty simple. You just involve either of them in a pick and roll, and and you may get something good. But if you have three really good defenders behind them, it shouldn't be you know fatal. I would say if, like. Kennard is doing the stuff that we want him to do more so in Memphis. I mean, he's shooting more threes for 36 mm-hmm. minutes. Uh, not, yeah, just, he's, and he's hitting half of them and his assists per 36 are higher than they've been at any point since 1920 when he was at 4.5 is at 3.3. I feel like we've always, it's always been acknowledged that Kennard can do like a little bit more as a facilitator. Um, but he also needs to shoot more. So he's kind of worked out in terms of like just the niche skills you needed him to provide. Um, so I still, I still like it. I think, I think you could argue that like, he's the best player in this trade. Is that crazy? Like, is he better? He's, is he better than Eric Gordon? I think. Yeah. Oh probably, yeah. Right. Um, he doesn't have the track record. And then Danny green and John wall. That's like, you know, not, nothing, nothing fancy there. Unless Danny green turns back into like 2014, Danny green. So I'm good with this for the, for the Grizzlies. Even if, as you pointed out, like, there are going to be potential hiccups defensively that you got to sort of figure out. Um, Cause I think he is someone that like just another knockdown shooter. If he would shoot more is super valuable to, to the Grizzlies, especially if Morant's not going to be a high volume or accurate three point shooter like ever, which is sort of what it looks like now. Three ultra quick hitters to throw at you was the bones Highland trade. The Clippers got bones Highland. The Nuggets got a 2024 and 2025 second round pick from the Clippers in that deal, which I believe they flipped some or both of them to get Thomas Bryant from the Lakers. I mean, it doesn't feel great for the Clippers, right? Because Bones just hasn't been playing that much. I don't have the numbers up in front of me. Um, He's not, so, I mean, yeah, the Russell Westbrook trade kind of, you know. Yet again, the, the Westbrook thing. The no, signing, think, not, the, not the trade. But still, for two second rounders, why not take the swing yeah, on him? I'm actually just – he must have been a very big like locker room detriment if the Nuggets just decided we're going to give up on him for two second round picks. You know what I've decided on that now that you framed you brought that point back up is I think I like it much more for Denver just because that's kind of like a mature that's the right decision. I feel like cuz I feel like if you're moving on from a guy that you're like this is going to be our sixth man of the year candidate uh 2 years into the career, something was up. And the willingness to be like, we have too good of a thing going and we cannot let someone compromise it. I almost make that almost like makes me feel good about Denver understanding like what really matters. So 
it's a weird move, but I'm, I've decided to spin it that way just in this last 30 seconds. I think that's fine. But the fact that I think you contributed to his declining value by just erasing him from existence, like it, they allowed the situation to deteriorate so quickly. And I can't imagine they didn't have any idea. This was sort of brewing behind the scenes entering the season. So I get it. But I do think they contributed to kind of his value reaching its absolute nadir. Maybe so. Maybe the move would have been to trade him last offseason if you had if you had you know suspicions that this was going to be the way it would go. Because I bet you you could have got more for him over the summer than I, at the death. I don't doubt that. Yeah. The jo- the Josh Richardson trade. Pelicans got Josh Richardson for Devontae Graham and four second round picks. Well, nothing's gone right for the Pelicans, but uh, I I still think that makes total sense. Um, Graham just wasn't going to be a factor, and Richardson is theoretically the you know the rangy wing type that could help them. But I don't know how you judge anything with New Orleans right now. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like that he was playing over Trey Murphy the third in higher leverage moments at first, and he's not shooting the ball from three particularly well. But I'm fine with it. To get off Devontae Graham's deal without giving up a a first was big. Uh, the the other one, I don't even, we don't, Mason Plumlee, the Clippers is whatever. Uh, oh, this one was interesting. The OKC Thunder getting Dario Saric for uh, Darius Baisley, essentially. It was, they got Dario Saric in a second round pick for for Darius Baisley. I mean, I I saw, I saw Saric, uh, I, first of all, uh, against the Warriors the other night, I totally forgot Saric was on the Thunder because I just saw him on the bench. Like, huh, how about that? And then he came in and he proceeded to get like five offensive I'm exaggerating like a bunch of offensive rebounds and just you'd be super valuable for a little stretch of time. Um, I like Sharks. He's shooting 48% from deep. He's only played 10 games. He's playing like 14 minutes a game, but making 60 plus percent from the field, playing super hard, getting a bunch of boards. Like he was he's just playing well in Phoenix when he was traded too. anyone who framed that. I'm sorry to interrupt is like, Oh, well they're getting Baisley. who's was like this rangy wing. No, I just no. question whether you've seen any, any of Darius Baisley. It was a salary tax dump. Yeah. Move. That was it. That, and they got a be. guy. They got a guy. Like it wasn't just please take this contract because this guy can't play. Uh, it's like wait, Sarge is like a real player. Uh, yeah, I, don't know, I'd like, I don't know. I how would he if he wanted to come back, he can play a long chat. Like he and he could play the small sure. ball five too. We've seen it. I just I, I thought it was a home run for the Thunder, and it was just whatever. For they got Kevin Durant, so I'm not going to criticize anything they did to trade deadline. But this had nothing to do. I want to make this clear. This had nothing to do with Darius Baisley from Phoenix's perspective. No, zero. I, I, it's just that's all. That's that's all it was. Yeah, great. Can we just give an A plus to the Thunder? Like as a they get a they got the highest grade of the deadline. A plus plus plus. Uh, the the final final one was the three team trade that we need to blow through. But it's Charlotte got Shvima Kai Luke a 2023 second. Um, it's owned by the way, via Philly. Philly got Jalen McDaniels, two second round picks, uh, one from Portland in 2024, and then an, another from Portland in 2029. And then Portland received Matisse Thibel. Any later impressions from this trade? Well, I think Ty- we've talked about Thibel already. Really to, we talked about Thibel on Portland already. Yeah. yeah. I think I think that's that's a really good outcome for them. Um McDaniels, like is pretty similar to what he was in, in, in Charlotte. I still think that was a totally fine upside play. And there's the possibility that McDaniels really does feature for them, uh, you know, in meaningful playoff games at some point uh, this year, or if they decide to keep him around going forward, I don't, I don't know what I, if I'd stray too far from like the C plus to the B range for any of these teams, but um, Thibel for sure was a good get. I think McDaniels makes a lot of sense too. Um, and, and this was, and you know, not that we really care that much but this was like a tax avoidance move for the sixers too so uh good for them i guess on that one even it's, if 
looks I, like I don't really be good. them ducking attacks, but it does like it doesn't count towards the repeater clock now. Right. And the other thing is, I like Jalen McDaniels, and you finished as a net positive in the second round pick department as part of yeah. it. Like you got two second round picks in addition to the the title. I mean, Tybalt's shooting the ball so well in Portland that maybe you look foolish, but it doesn't seem like the opportunity was ever going to be there. Mm-hmm. in philly for him and like let's yeah. see if this sustains yeah it's not like he didn't get chances right it, you know the, the, there were definitely opportunities for him to prove he could play this well with the sixers and it just didn't happen although right now i guess is portland the big winner of this deal right now i mean if not them who it has to be like especially if if they can keep the, sixers for- the tax <laughs> the confetti. stop it <laughs> wait we should there's no confetti allowed for tax ducking it should be it's it's not in the budget this was very instructive do you want to take us out of here yeah uh although like so ultimately i don't think our opinions have changed a whole lot on any of these and that has mostly to do with the sample and the fact that a lot of these were designed thank you for not saying that at the top of the podcast yeah (laughs) you guys can just go read dan's live grades from a month ago and you're pretty much going to get the gist of this um, okay, uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Anybody that had uh, had comments and questions, we appreciate it. Uh, if you are not already, please uh, follow us on our socials at Hardwood Knox on Twitter and TikTok at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. Uh, subscribe on YouTube. Uh, make sure you tell your friends and enemies. Rate, review, subscribe every place else. And as always, uh, undiscussed yet again, both players that we, we love to shout out. Shouts to Frank Milikina and apologies to Jared Allen.